Hello, and welcome to Recent Activity, your new favorite entertainment review podcast that attempts to cover every film, every show, all at once. I am your co-host, Andrew Morgan. With me, as always, live from explaining the Godfather to a group of young Barbies at his mojo dojo, it's Mr. Shane Beauregard. How are you, sir? I am doing well, and you stole my thunder. I am coming from the Mojo Doja Casa House. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for getting the full full title out there for everybody. That's that's Absolutely. the important thing there. So, <laughs> great job by you. Glad to see you, sir. Busy week for us as oh, I- everybody because uh, Shane. I, I remember saying last week. I said I wanted to kind of check on the box office to be like, are we back? Are we back at like 2019 levels? Um, I don't even care what that number was last week because the Barbenheimer experience exploded the box office over the weekend to the point. I don't know if you said you had trouble getting tickets or whether you just pushed it to yesterday for funsies or was it a difficulty to get in for you? Uh, for Oppenheimer, the times were a little difficult because it is a longer movie, so it was on less screens and had less times. Right. So Barbie was easier for me to get into. Oppenheimer, I finally was able to squeeze in on Monday, but I went to a 1040 showing, and it was still, I'd say, 90% full Yeah, on a Monday. Yeah, which this will come as no surprise then that Barbie actually set a record for how much money it made on a Monday. And Oppenheimer still made like I think somewhere between like like almost thirteen million on a Monday, which is nuts. Just for just for for funsies, I'll put the the numbers out there because we're already talking numbers. Uh, Oppenheimer has now made two hundred nine million worldwide, ninety five million of that domestic, one fourteen internationally, and I imagine there are probably some places that. Uh, don't appreciate or i think they maybe had to take certain things out mm-hmm. uh to do that um but of course that is being dwarfed by what barbie is doing um 382.4 million worldwide already 188 of that domestically and 194 internationally i'm actually shocked that it's almost an even split um, I know Barbie's a global brand. It's just interesting when watching the trailers for that movie that I know a lot of parents at least didn't know, A, whether they could take their kid to the movie, and B, like what the demographic is essentially to know what to expect, what age level, all that stuff wrapped in. So the fact that people just took the leap of faith and just it exploded over the weekend is a obviously a great thing for them great thing for the box office but very surprising to me i knew it was going to make money but this is insane do you think so too yeah it kind of came out of left field like you said it's a global brand everyone knows who barbie was but i'm just as shocked as barbie as i was super mario brothers i thought it would do well but i did not see this coming at all at all yeah and not to not to talk now, I don't want to sound like I'm talking crap, but like one of the demographics that has been reluctant to come back to the movie theaters is older women def- demographics. And obviously, Barbie, throw that out the window. You know, it's obviously, but it's all coming in one 
fell swoop. So I guess, you know, cons- <laughs> it's almost like the point of the Barbie movie where they're like, you know, <laughs> talking about things like the Snyder Cut and all this like patriarchy mm-hmm. and all this. Uh, like, yeah, maybe they've just been underserved and this is the first thing in a long time that's appealed to them so they can finally come out of the woodwork when, you know, the things that have been working at the box office have mostly been, you know, horror movies and and cape and cowl superhero movies so you know it's or obviously even you know i don't want to i don't want to besmirch your tom cruise but he's getting he's getting a little hit uh, yeah he got hit he got hit last weekend yeah and obviously uh the imax thing did not help because oppenheimer took over all the imax screens so even that little extra money that would have come from from that revenue uh had to take a hit as well so yeah, he even uh, was uh, behind Sound of Freedom, which that's yeah. a whole other thing. I, I want to get into that. Nope, right now, I yeah. will not. I will not. I will not touch that with the ten foot pole. So, where do you want to start, buddy? Which uh, which film you want to start with? You want to do uh, Barbie or honestly, Oppenheimer? Let's go. Let's go. Let's start off in my eyes with the uh, the more enjoyable film for myself personally. Let's go with Barbie. Oh boy! All right, oh this boy, is already right. getting dicey. <laughs> All right, um, Barbie. Of course, uh, you know the big crown jewel of the summer at this point. I, you know, I, I wonder where it can cap. I don't think it's going to get like Top Gun Maverick numbers, but man, it might. Like the it's way gonna it's going to roll for a little it's while. It's going it. to roll for a little while. Oh, absolutely! And this is a, a repeatable movie for sure. Uh, of course, this is uh, the. Greta Gerwig, written and directed film, also co-written by Noah Baumbach, based on the Mattel doll, uh, starring Margot Robbie as Barbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken. Also along for the ride is America Ferreira, Will Ferrell, Issa Rae, Michael Sarah, and many, 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 many other people, including a lot of people who were not in the trailer, so I don't want to spoil anything in terms of like people's appearances and things of that nature. Uh, this is, of course a movie about Barbie suffering a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. Uh, a lot of uh, feminist tones that we'll get into and, and a lot of themes that uh, can be covered here. I already put out that this movie is clobbering everything in its path at the box office. Also of note, um, the uh, music here is also done by Mark Ronson, who is just a massive music producer right now that uh of course made that one smash album with like everybody you ever heard of with uptown funk and all that stuff uh on there as well so he's a massive massive producer uh so i found that to be fun as well this is a movie that is getting very good scores not as high as oppenheimer even though shane uh, is apparently (laughs) going to challenge that thought 90 rotten tomato score with an 87 rotten tomato audience score 80 Metascore, 4.2 Letterbox, and a 7.5 IMDb score. Shane, as you uh, made the choice here and, and found this uh, more enjoyable, potentially, than Oppenheimer, um, I will let you take the floor, buddy. What did you think of Barbie? All right, full disclosure, I saw this movie twice over the weekend. Oh, boy. Yeah, I saw it Thursday opening night, which was Full House. Uh, excuse Lots- you, sir. I saw it Wednesday night at the I know Barbie blowout, okay? so I you, missed that. You call yourself opening night. That's cute. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> so I went Thursday night, had a blast. 
if you would have told me a year ago about Barbie, I would have laughed. I would have laughed right in your face. Yep. This movie was enjoyable. I told my daughter when I got home, I saw it because she asked me what movie I saw. She goes, well, I wanted to see that. She gave me no indication because she's in the whore and lopping heads off and blood squirting <laughs> everywhere. So never I would have pieced the two together. So I took them, my kids, Saturday. Right. Full disclosure, I still laughed harder the second time I saw it. A lot of the stuff went over my kids' heads. Like, of course, Especially yeah. my daughter. She's 12. Yeah. But I will say this movie is <laughs> just way better than I ever thought it would be or could be. It gives you an actual story, though. It gets kind of lost in the middle, the middle act, I thought. I do. I love this. I love the set designs, the set pieces. I love the musical acts. I, I love the songs. I love everything about this movie. A lot of the jokes just killed it for me. But the guy or the person, sorry, Barbie, Ryan Gosling as Ken stole the freaking movie for me. Yeah, of course. Just Especially stole on the, the side movie. of the fence, of course. Yeah. Yeah, but he had the funnier lines. He had the funnier, the funnier material. But man, uh, kudos to to Greta here because again, it was engaging and had a good message. And we'll get into it. But story wise, again, the message was solid. It was a solid movie. I just thought sometimes tonally it was a little off. Where it was trying to be too funny, then it tried to like rein itself in and be a little too serious. And I thought sometimes they missed their marks on the tonal stuff. Agreed. But overall, you know, uh, very enjoyable. Laughed so hard, harder than I ever thought I would, and really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, interestingly enough, so I want to kind of do this two ways before I get into my own thing. So I've been thinking about a lot of the movies that Greta Gerwig has cited that were kind of inspirational in how she kind of structured the movie. And I'm also also interested in, like, kind of thinking – did you have a comparison for this? Did it have some kind of structural comparison to you of, of like that it reminded you of something else, a, a different movie or anything? Not really, honestly. Now, if you give me some examples, I'll perhaps say, oh, yeah, I get that. Now I get that. But in the moment, I really wasn't thinking about anything. I was just in the moment enjoying everything. Sure. Visually a fun movie. So, no, I, I didn't. Yeah, um, uh, so I know she's cited things like The Wizard of Oz, Matrix, Truman Show, things of that nature. These kind of like fish out of water, constructed environment type movies, which totally makes sense. I think she even mentioned uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure potentially as like kind I can of, see that uh, how it's kind of moved around. Um, I agree with you about the the middle, like the reality, the corporate stuff, a lot of that stuff. I didn't think that worked a lot for me, um, although I did appreciate. Uh, I thought America Ferrera was really good, oh, um, yeah. and of course, everybody's going to keep talking about the the speech that she launches into, kind of like mid to to two thirds of the way through. That kind of launches uh, the project into the third act um, of where it goes from there. So, I I like this movie, um, I, but I didn't love it. And I, the way people talk about it, you know, I almost feel guilty for having like small issues or things that like didn't work for me. Although it's interesting, we kind of have similar the similar issues, except you're like seem a higher percentage than than I am into it. So that's maybe because you saw it a second time. I am interested to a say see it for a second time myself, and then obviously I'm interested to see. It seems like you liked it better the second time. Is there something that you picked up on 
in the second viewing, uh, like you said, stuff went over your kids' heads, but did stuff go over your own head? No, I was able to catch some of the slide one-liners a little bit more a second time through. And I guess seeing it for the first time, second time I was a little more relaxed and I was just trying to pay attention to the stuff I missed the first time. So I was just right. more in tune with the movie. Right. But going back to what you said real quick, before I read anything, I was having Who Framed Roger Rabbit kind of that vibes going sure. into the movie. Mm-hmm. Being the whole Barbie land into reality kind of crossing over into that kind of thing. So that's what I thought heading into the movie. That's what it was going to kind of be like. And it, you know, it kind of was. But yeah, no, I second time through, I just was able to relax and be more in tune with the movie and just really focus on a lot of the dialogue that I may have missed the first time. So yeah, it's enjoyable the second time through, man. I thought I'd be a little bored with it, but I wasn't. Yeah. uh, So, okay. I, I hate starting with negative, so I'll try to be sure. I'll try to echo your positives because they we do have a lot of the same. Um, obviously, this movie doesn't work without Margot Robbie being as perfectly consistent. I even love how they made the joke about how she's too perfect to also have this identity crisis and all these issues <laughs> that they're like, this is not the person we probably should have casted <laughs> if we want to do this. So I thought that was very funny. Um, I agree that Gosling stole the show for me and and to double down because, you know, again, I don't know if it's the male perspective or just the way their characters are written. But um, Michael Sarah oh. was unbelievable as Alan, him fighting the construction workers when they're le- like everything worked. His whole thing of just being this kind of like everybody else is important and it's like hey i'm just alan you know between that the pregnant friend midge and some of these other like little not easter egg but like tinier smaller things um that worked for me and yeah gosling uh when he hits reality you know the patriarchy and horses and trucks stuff and and kind of going full bore with that was the funniest part of that mid that i didn't fully enjoy and again i i i I echo your kind of like inconsistent tone thing. And I think that maybe bothered me more than obviously it bothered you where at times I was just like, this movie's not funny enough. And because it's, it's taking on such heady, heady, heady stuff and you have to be serious about it to make it seem legit. But you also are in a Barbie movie. So it's a, it's a delicate balance that I think sometimes it works Sometimes it doesn't, but I think it does enough to where I still like the movie, of course. So, and interestingly, the movie that I thought about is Albert Brooks' Defending Your Life. Have you ever seen it? We talked about it on the podcast. I know, uh, I think Chris had seen it too, um, but you haven't seen it. I have not seen it. So, to me, that's a movie, um, I want to say it's late 80s, but I'll double check that. But, um... Albert Brooks, uh, basically, uh, like, at the time, you know, being this kind of, like, funny, quirky auteur making a studio comedy, um, you know, because obviously Greta Gerwig is coming from making things like Lady Bird and Little Women and taking certain swings here and there, uh, diving into her childhood a lot. Obviously, the Barbie thing fits that mold as well. But in terms of Albert Brooks, like, he made a studio comedy basically about death and what it means to live a good life and and did it through this kind of like gimmicky mechanism uh where essentially he's in purgatory as like kind of this almost resort 
<laughs> theme park thing where you uh, get to watch moments of your life and talk about it. And, you know, Meryl Streep's in it. And there's like a whole to do of, of really good characters and performances and talks about a lot of heady issues. But it's also very funny because Albert Brooks is a nonstop witty banter joke machine. So, and I thought like all the scenes they showed and stuff were very funny and those type of moments. So, and that movie's not again like a laugh riot, but it does and have to tackle stuff and keep a certain tone and whatever. And I thought that did a better job, but I think it's a good comp for what they did with this movie, except obviously this had to be loud and pink and dancey mm-hmm. and everything else. So it it's a tall order. It's a massive swing. I admire Greta Gerwig for everything that she had to do because clearly she did not have to uh, compromise a lot with this film. It seems like I'm sure she did have to some because, you know, when you have corporate branding and everything else, I'm sure maybe the reins had to be pulled back, but you know, I'm sure not much because there's a lot of, you know, heavy anti (laughs) anti patriarchy stuff, uh, commenting on society, strong feminist themes, um, did you think anything got too deep or anything, you know, kind of, you know, didn't work in, in that regard? Because it is a tall order. It's, yeah, like you said, I, but I thought she tackled it very well. Now, for my 12-year-old daughter, and I'll speak through her eyes, it, the themes got lost on her. I had to explain to her what was going on in the concept of the movie. Then she goes, oh, okay, I get it now. So, like, I guess for the younger crowd, which... Maybe that's what the Barbie movie should have been intended for, because <laughs> I don't feel like it's intended for twelve-year-olds. The, the the ideas and the themes get lost upon them, but like for someone like myself, I thought she did a good job balancing it out. I liked how in Barbie Land they thought they were doing something good, but when she got to the real world, she realized it was flipped and her message wasn't well received. So she had to balance the two out. I thought that was a good theme to kind of play with going along with this movie. Yeah, I liked a lot of the com- like commentary and a lot of the themes and a lot of the conversations. I just wonder for myself, and again, I want to see it again, but I don't know if the story fully resolved itself for me. Because I don't know, again, because I don't know whether it's like too big of an idea to really have this kind of like satisfying ending of sorts. But I, there were things that did kind of linger with me in terms of like, did... Did it kind of work or did this like if I'm Barbie? Yeah, they ended on a joke, but it didn't feel like it ended on like a satisfying conclusion or a conversation, Uh, you know, so that that's where it gets a little lost for me. Um, But again, the highest highs, you know, in this movie, the production design is amazing. I had some issues with the lighting in there i don't know if you got that at all there was some like uh-huh. flat faces i thought there was a lot of halo effect i don't know if they did that on purpose um but so there there are a lot of very good things and i think this movie will have oscar nominations as well as make a truckload of money and i think it's a massive swing that i think did a lot of good um but i do wonder about certain conclusions with it do you think it cares about the male characters and how they're resolved oh good question because if it doesn't that's fine too there's a point of view and it's whatever and i'm not 
preaching some I don't I'm not think being, it's, you know, a No, I, a, I think dork, we get but, Yeah, know. no, I think we get the resolution with uh Ken as my Knuff. Like he realizes <laughs> his purpose, right? Like he doesn't need Barbie to stand out. But I think Ken, all the Kens, I don't think their story was fully resolved. I really don't. I think things got back to status norm for them. Which they point out in the movie, this isn't a spoiler, that Ken is designed to serve Barbie. And they kind of go back to that. I thought one line that stuck out to me that kind of made me cringe just a little bit. And I don't know why it did, but it just did. When one of the Kens asked if they they could have one person on their court or something like that. Yes. You know, uh, and the the female Barbie is like, let's not get carried away. You guys could be on like the, you know secondary court or something like that i was like or you "Hmm." can have one just like the real world and i was like okay number one number one i thought this movie was gonna be i don't want to say gentler or kinder because obviously it does take on a lot of you know the the toxic masculinity stuff and it totally should and i'm totally here for it don't get me wrong i i like that stuff like you said if we you can't like gosling's performance and then hate why it's there so like it's i'm not that way but i did kind of cringe with that too because i wanted balance i wanted a better balance because instead of being that line seemed vindictive yes when when you know they did patriarchy for like i don't know what felt like a few days maybe versus like you know, his total existence was at the service of uh, Barbie and all the other Barbies and not really <laughs> didn't even seem like they had a place to live. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, she even, even says in the movie, they asked him, where do the Kens live? And she was like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, th- that kind of I was hoping for a more nuanced conclusion, I guess. Um, but. You know, again, I understand the overarching theme, let alone the audience, the target audience and everything else. So I, I that, those type of things didn't fully work. But again, a lot of highs, a lot of good performances, a lot of great accomplishments. And to be honest, I mean, if this is what Greta Gerwig's version of trying to work in the studio system is, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. Here's a little nugget real quick. little nugget for those uh, uh, viewers, listeners who like sex, edu- sex education. There are three cast members from that show yeah. in this movie. And uh, they play Eric, uh, Maeve, and Adam, uh, okay. character names, all in this movie. And I thought that was kind of odd. And I tried to look for a through line between Greta and the show or even Noah in the show, sure. and there's like no connection between. I can't find a thread. I just find that's odd. They chose three actors from one particular show and cast them in this movie. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just a their fans. You know, yeah. it, it could be as simple as that, right? You know, but yeah, she, the the cast is so good. Like I said, I just mentioned some. I mean, there's most of the Kens are like. A plus stars, you know, and yeah. other things that they're just like happy to be Kens and hanging out, like Kingsley Benadir, um, Simu Liu, right? The guy who plays yep. uh, Shang Chi, um, yep. like j- amazing, just <laughs> this extra A plus lineup. And then, um, you know, I don't want to spoil some of the, again some of the people who come right. later that haven't been <clears throat> kind of put there on Front Street, but yeah, 
amazing top line entertainment and it's gonna just keep continuing to crush um you want to do scores on it obviously let's go i'm curious to see your score first let me hear yours first i think this is a three and a half because i think again the highest highs and some stuff that didn't work knocks it down enough to to that so that's where i you're gonna be surprised but i honestly gave it a three and a half as well Really? So again, I, I, I think yeah. we're kind of talking about the same thing, except I'm I'm cringing at the thought of like kind of taking this movie to task because of the glowing, glowing reviews out there. You know, you see what I'm yeah, saying? No. Plus, I'm a man. I felt, you know, it's, yeah. It, I wore pink to the premiere. I'm taking pictures with the Barbie <laughs> Jeep. I went in with all the intentions, and I did have a good time. I just don't think this movie's as perfect as some people put it out there as that's all yeah no i agree i if i were to do the whole andrew cheat code thing i would do 3.75 but and you i'm not gonna cheat i'm gonna give it a 3.5 yeah which again even seen it as yeah it has a 4.2 though uh on letterboxd so that to me uh, that's where i kind of like are we am i gonna get dinged somewhere you know am i I gonna get beaten up for this but Eh, again bring it on people yeah exactly because i think you know while it's going to be the biggest hit she's ever had by a mile, I think it's probably her third best movie. So, right. you know, take that for what it is. So yeah. I'm with it. But again, uh, you can see a lot of the influences. I'm here for it. If anybody wants to do, a, you know, kind of shoehorn a good story. I hate the fact that we have to use big top, you know, IP for it still, you know, whether it's brand or whether it's uh, remake stuff or what have you. But I think they made the best of it, and I I love seeing full audiences finally getting served, uh, you know, on the female end, uh, and having this totally work. I, I love it because I hope now it forces studios to do more of it. Right. And now on the Oppenheimer side, I'm I'm afraid to go here, buddy, because uh, you kind of if if three and a half is your lead. Uh, I'm very scared to see where we go on the latest Christopher Nolan movie written and directed by him based on the book American Prometheus by Kai Bird and Martin J. Sherwin. It stars Hillian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer, uh, the father of the atomic bomb. Uh, Emily Blunt as his wife, Kitty. Robert Downey Jr. as Louis Strauss. Matt Damon, Florence Pugh, Josh Hartnett, Matthew Bodine, and a slew of other who's who people in this film um, that, of course, ran quite long. I bl- I didn't write down the exact time, but I know it's pushing three hours, um, if not, um, which might be some of the things I, c- I wonder whether I'd ding that for you because uh, that's a tough one for you, of course. Um, but the scores are incredible. Uh, 94% Rotten Tomatoes score with a 93% audience score, 89% meta score, 8.8 IMDb and a 4.4 letterbox, 209 million worldwide. We already discussed that. Um, and to me, I am a fan of Christopher Nolan. I like most of his films. I am kind of maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of uh, where people kind of go. Like you're, you're fans of uh, Interstellar and Inception. I know people who think those are his best pieces of work, and I vehemently disagree. Um, and I don't. I think this movie has more in common with 
The Dark Knight and Dunkirk than it does those other films. Um, but to me, I'm very encouraged by an R-rated film that's an adult drama that's a biopic that is an IMAX. <laughs> this is a unicorn of a film that uh, I absolutely loved. So I will let you do the stomping, and then I will rise from the dead uh, to give it okay. the phoenix. How are you, sir? Uh, what are we doing? I, I'm, I, okay, so you're going to be befuddled when I give my grades at the end. I'm sure I will. <laughs> I, and we'll get into this. No, in a good way. I thought this was his best film in probably a decade, probably since Dunkirk. Um, I am a Christopher Nolan fan, but Interstellar bothered me, and then Tenet just really made me upset because I think he got into a pattern of just trying to be too smart for the audience. Sure. I think what helped him here is that he has source material to go off of. I think that's what saved him in this movie. I agree. Yeah, so I thought the acting was A-level, Cillian Murphy's best role. I thought uh, it was good to see Robert Downey Jr. knocked it out of the park. Even it was good to see Casey Affleck in the scene. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen him in forever. He was great. True. Visually stunning movie. Stunning. What kind of, and thank God this movie didn't have a ton of it, but what kind of pisses me off about Nolan is I don't need my eardrums to bleed with the, <laughs> uh, some of the sound that he has in his movie. It's uh-huh. like too much for It's too much for me. Okay. Here's my problem with the movie overall. Uh, oh, kudos for Florence Pugh too. I mean, we'll, you know, you know, scene I'm talking about. Oh, <laughs> There's a top bunch notch yeah, there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, you get the climax of the bomb, right? I thought everything after that was kind of like, uh, all right, where are we at? Two forty-five, two fifty. Can we kind of like start wrapping this up? It's like we peaked, and like thirty-five minutes later, we're still like going through FBI interrogations and Senate hearings. And I'm like, all right, can we just finally be done with this? I'm glad I saw it. It deserves to be seen on the big screen. Again, his best movie in a long time. I'm more of a fan of the prestige and that sort of Christopher Nolan world than I am the Inception Interstellar. Glad I saw it. But man, the three hours wore on me. Like I felt it towards the end. I'm like, wrap it up. That's as much stomping as I'll do, sir. I've heard that from other reviews, other people even that I like uh, to hear from, uh, including yourself, obviously. Um, I vehemently disagree. And the only reason I understand that it's the air comes out of the balloon when the bombs go off. You know, the testing gets done and it's literally the the fallout, essentially. Because essentially the movie acts like... An atomic bomb. <laughs> there's a lot of setup. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of, you know, hand wringing. There's a lot of questioning. There's a lot of science and quick cuts and, and intensity. And then boom, right? And then, okay, that lead up is probably some of the best work he's ever done. Yes. And then the end is the fallout. Much like Hiroshima, <laughs> Nagasaki, you know, like all those, those places are never the same and neither was he and neither was this country and neither was the, the, the fact of, if you think about it and I heard this today and I was actually like, wow, you're right. Um, after Oppenheimer, you don't see scientists on TV, like C-SPAN, like panels or any of that stuff 
until Fauci had to. And you see how that went, where basically everybody wants to take down the scientist, even though it's, you know, you're the greatest and then you're the worst. And then you will ultimately be blamed for how it goes. And again, he should share some of it. And his moral quandaries are some of the meteor stuff that I like. I like this movie as a philosophical text as much as I like the 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 biopic nature and the actual ramping, which the ramping made me feel like I was watching The Dark Knight. The music yeah. um, by uh, Ludwig Göransson um, is incredible. He's done work on The Mandalorian. He won uh, the Academy Award for Black Panther. Um, and he continues to absolutely kill it. Um, he did all the Creed films, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this guy is one of the, the greatest composers. And the fact that he did almost essentially, um, he basically had to do his best Hans Zimmer impression where, you know, you have these kind of really tense, explosive scenes, even though all you're doing is literally just seeing a lot of people talk in rooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that felt the same way when like Dark Knight either the the ramp up to uh trying to chase down the Joker or whether it's these certain action scenes. A lot of them if you hold them side by side with the kind of quick cross cutting and the intensity of trying to create something as well as um trying to fight off uh kind of the early McCarthyism, anti communism sediment and everything in in that nature that he has to deal with on top of the building moral compass that was happening around him that he kind of shut out uh, as things went on because he has to live with the fact that he is a genius, but he's also ultra competitive and he wanted to be the best and Mm -hmm. wanted to accomplish this, even though he knew he was behind other countries and other scientists in terms of, uh, the accomplishments. So to me, I love the third act in a lot of ways because I need him to actually get his comeuppance. And even though he, you see him essentially kind of get ripped to shreds, but then also sort of kind of get back in the good graces at times too. It's supposed to end like a wet fart because his fucking, he's gone through every permutation of how this is supposed to go because he ruined life as we know it (laughs) because he thought maybe I don't think as much he was kind of naive and actually I wrote down uh there was a um there was a phrase that Nolan used on set where he said that the character arc of Oppenheimer is basically him dancing between the raindrops of uh more morality and that's exactly what this is he kept He put science and accomplishment ahead of heeding the warnings of, oh, well, this is okay until it becomes an arms race. And then he did his own hand-wringing and moral, had a moral backbone against other people to try to diffuse that kind of arms race. And it just, it's interesting to see where it goes. And he had to pay the price for it. He went from the cover of time to being, you know, essentially the equivalent of uh disbarred 
almost yeah. in a scientific field. So, and had to go through all the, like I said, the McCarthy, McCarthy era stuff and his own wife taking him to task for them destroying him. And yeah, it's uh it's, it's a fascinating character study that I honestly ate up all over. Like I, I, I it's a long movie. I saw it at IMAX. I took it in at, at all of it, you know, in this amazing fashion. And I could have sat there and watched it again. Yeah, see, I'm I'm with you for 80% of the ride. I, I am. And I understand what you're saying with the final act getting his comeuppance. I get it. I just felt like, honestly, if you look back at the movie, they could have shaved at least a half hour from the movie. Like, I don't think we needed the Florence, a lot of the Florence Pugh stuff. I thought Emily Blunt, as great as she is, I thought she really wasn't necessary. Like, I, I kept thinking they could have cast any actress for her role in that movie because it wasn't a big role. See, but I was I, glad to see right. Dieter from Army of Thieves in this movie. I did, too. I, I peeked up at that. Yeah. Yeah. As he but was so, Heisenberg. So, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I did enjoy the character study because I didn't know, really, I went into this movie cold. I'm like, I'm not going to Wikipedia Oppenheimer. I knew the basics, but I didn't know the fallout. I didn't know anything or Stra- the character Strauss that uh, Robert Downey plays. I stayed away from reading all that because I wanted to go in as cold as I could. And I, you, like, you're right. I enjoyed seeing that character play out on screen. I was in it to win it. And then it just kind of like, again, it just got too, it was just, ah, it's just too long for me at the end. I just, uh, just want to pick up a little bit. And I guess that's where the only knock I have is the runtime, to be honest with you. Other than right. that, it's in a, an astonishing movie. But I think what also was in my mind is when you read the taglines, oh, best movie of the decade, best, no, not even close. So I thought some of the hype was like, Maybe my expectations were too high for this movie. I'm like, oh, here we go. Best movie I'm going to see this decade. Right. And that's not so much. Great movie. Not uh, best of the decade. No John Wick 4. Sorry, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, to me, I, I it's just I found it fascinating that for how much this movie is almost Sorkin-esque in terms of the amount of dialogue that is here and a lot of like again men in rooms walking and talking and things like that that you can see the influence of it and i don't know uh i i agree with you on no one has always always had a problem with writing females in his stories and i think you actually hit the nail on the head that i think this one was less egregious because he had a source material to work off of so that way he couldn't get in in his own way essentially um which he's notorious for but i disagree that uh the uh florence pew character could have been eliminated because i in a way she is a microcosm of what is to come and maybe the stuff that didn't work for you is what i actually did find more fascinating with the the kind of the the philosophy of it, the moral quandary mm-hmm. of it, the the because again, the, if anything, <laughs> and you would love this, if it was a little bit longer and we had more time to sit with his relationships <laughs> in terms bitch. of some of it. Um, now, could you swap it with some of the other scientific stuff, or maybe an extra montage of stuff in the in the ramp up or or whatever? Maybe. Uh, could you swap it for uh, a conversation with Einstein that could have been taken out? 
Maybe. Um, but in terms of the construction of the movie, the Florence Pugh stuff, I think, works in the sense of his womanizing and kind of how that relationship develops is kind of the same as the bomb creation, where he's all about it at, when he's in the moment. But as soon as something bigger that goes to his pride, his vanity, his uh, his intelligence, that and obviously a legacy thing as well with, with the bomb as well, he'll put everything else to the side. You know, so having Emily Blunt basically supplant the Florence Pugh character is is essentially, you know, because he can he can get a legacy out of that. He can have a child. He can have something that will live on. He can even though he's not going to uh, be a great parent. <laughs> no, oh, they no, weren't no, good no, parents. Let's no, put that out there. No, no terrible, terrible, terrible. Parents. Yeah, um, I just found it odd with the Emily Blunt one where I thought it was going well when they first talk and, and develop that relationship. But as soon as she gets pregnant, she becomes very different. And, and so this is the tough part, right? Because we have the book and because we have historical record on some of these people from what the people say, uh, the more like the historians or the people who wrote the book, et cetera, et cetera, that this is one of the most accurate movies, biopics that has ever been created. Is I've heard some, that too. So while I want to take Nolan to task for his usual poor writing of women BS, I also am trying to be kind to the fact that maybe he didn't have a choice this time. So that's, that's the tough part. But I'm glad he actually kept those characters in versus just making this straight about him and just having it really be sidelined, right. I guess. So yeah. that that's me. But I was engrossed in this movie. And I think not only, like I said, I think Barbie's going to have multiple Oscar nominations. This one is going to have like double digits. Uh, yeah. Because there's no way it's not being up for best picture. Um, best director. Adapted best screenplay, best actor. Yep. I think, the supporting actor for Downey because Downey's basically a co-lead at the end of that movie. Um, Blunt, you know, might have a chance. The, that role has been diminishing in terms of that. And I don't know how solid of a year we're going to get, especially now that Challengers uh, for Zendaya has been pushed back to 2024. Um, so that's a problem. I love the score. I hope the score wins at this point. Um, cinematography, production design, um, made me think of Mank in terms of that. And yeah, Mank actually took the Oscar that year again in a in a year that was lesser because of the uh the COVID situation. Um editing for sure. There's so much cross cutting and um choices they made with uh the timeline using the black and white going back and forth. I thought it was very well constructed in terms of that. And of course, obviously no one for director, I would be shocked if he didn't. Um, like you said, I don't like Tenet at all. And I thought this was an amazing comeback for him. And I think he should, if you, if, if you consider that, I think his early, early work, like Memento, his screenplays used to be written by his brother all the time. And I thought that was a good thing for no one. And then you take, um, the Batman trilogy, the dark Knight trilogy, and you see how well he did with that. 
again, source material that he can borrow from and or that the scripts were co-written or written with his brother. And then he went off on his own and his brother made person of interest uh, on CBS and some other things. Great show. They, yeah. Very good show. <laughs> um, and then he basically thought I could do this on my own. And I think those are the lesser scripts from no one. And then, uh, and obviously again, had harder issues with women and et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, now he, Dunkirk historical record, this movie historical record, the Batman stuff, his brother, those things having source material or another person in the room. I think that's when he's at his best. And I think he needs to go back to that. I agree. I totally agree. I that's what I said at the top. Uh, this is in my top five for Nolan movies, but like right at number five, I think it's a really nice bounce back film because again, I really hated Tenet. Like I, the movie made me mad. Yeah, and I'm not an Interstellar fan, so for me, this is his best since Dunkirk. Though Dunkirk's not in my top five, I enjoyed this more than Dunkirk, and I, I agree with everything you said. I love having. I think having his brother in source material, he's at his best and that's what i liked about this movie he got back to being nolan and everything he brings to the table visually audibly though again still kind of upsets me because i think things are too loud just to be loud and i'm like ah but other than that i had a great time yeah i this is uh top probably two or you know of nolan and it is uh one of my favorite films of the year um, and if uh, the same way you uh, asked me to go first for Barbie, I will ask you to go first for Oppenheimer, and then I will okay. put my score there. So this is where I'll befuddle you a little bit. Now, given the choice, what movie <laughs> did I enjoy more during the weekend? It was Barbie, hands down. I enjoyed that movie more. But if I had to sit back and put my critic hat on, I'm giving this movie a 4.5. Like, it, it is what it is. Even though I didn't enjoy the last half hour of the film, I still appreciated what he put on screen. It was eye candy. It was just great actors. Too, just It was just great. So I give it a 4.5, even though I enjoyed Barbie more. Sorry. And Does that make sense? It does. I, I get that, and I actually appreciate that quite a bit. And again, for, for seeing certain things that you know maybe he's not as good at or whatever, I still really, really like this movie. Uh, borderline love this movie. Um, and... I have to, I'm, I, <laughs> say it, say it. I know you want to say it. I'm giving it. it a five. I'm giving it a five because to me, I think in the same way I can say things about John Wick four that like, it's not a perfect movie, but it gave me such highs and such thrills and such everything. It's a five movie. It's probably the best action movie of, you know, the last several years and, you know, Spider-Verse. You know, that's the peak of its, you know, particular genre, you know, in the animation circuit. It's the best. It it topped its previous movie. There's a lot of things, and that gets a five from me. This movie, I thought, again, it's a unicorn of an R-rated movie that has adult themes, that's a biopic, that has incredible cinematography, sound, score, like everything that's necessary i thought murphy is so good as this kind of like he's not an a-list star but he is perfect in this movie because he absorbs everything around him he he fits the like tortured genius 
asshole kind of mold and he has that look and feel and he does a great job of balancing the film because the whole thing rides on his shoulders he has that intensity that is perfectly matched with the rest of how Nolan constructs the movie and yeah I debate whether this is the best thing I've seen all Mm. year all right I would I really it's one of those like I would have to watch all three films that I have for his five stars and be like, all right, what is it? Because I think that's a good discussion to have at a later date, my friend. Yeah. And I know, you know, you're not going to put this, like you said, you're not putting it above John Wick. And, you know, I think you had Spider-Verse potentially above John Wick at the times. So when we did our top five of the year so far. So, yeah, it's a hell of a debate. And obviously, I think as far as like Oscars are concerned, this is probably the only one that's going to get best picture of those three. Yes, uh, I agree. So you, you know, we'll see. We'll see Killers of the Flower Moon. We'll see a lot of these other films that I'm very intrigued about uh, going into uh, the end of the year. But I think this is going to be right there, and we're going to be talking about this movie a lot, or at least I will, because I'm obnoxious and I liked it a lot. <laughs> But uh, great job by you, man. We survived Barbenheimer. We did. I, I had a blast. I really want to you know, end this on such a positive note that I yeah, he- I was taking pictures. I'm, I'm part of the discourse. I loved every podcast of everybody doing it. I love the conversations. This is the type of stuff that I want to be talking about, not the latest MCU bubble burst. Yeah, and here's what I'll say just to ride on your coattails. It was probably the most fun I've had in a theater for a weekend in a long, long time. Yeah. Having two blockbusters that were really good and so different to just, you know, take in over the course of the weekend. I can't remember the last time I saw two movies like this in, in the span of three, two days. It was yeah. great. So hats off. Everyone go see these two movies is all I'll say. Absolutely. And everybody uh, seek out us on instagram and twitter at recent act pod everybody go to your favorite podcatcher, give us a five-star review and subscribe so that way you don't miss out on amazing review episodes like this uh we will be back at it next week and i hope you join us too for more recent activity Hello there, I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.